Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. I want to talk for a moment to you about Amazon reviews or Yelp reviews or any other sort of semi-anonymous online review tool. Because I think that if you're anything like me, you've probably noticed that for any product or restaurant you go to look for, there tends to be two sorts of reviews. There's a lot of four and five star reviews and a lot of one star reviews, but there's not a lot of three star reviews. It's either you absolutely love it or you absolutely hate it. I mean, because nobody wants to sort of settle into their keyboard, crack their knuckles and say, this was the okayest meal I've ever had. This product was fine. No, 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 no. No, we want to sidle up to our keyboards, give our neck a good stretch, and write a glowing review of the best meal that we've ever had, or... Or maybe tell some manufacturer that their product is hot garbage in a cardboard box that was delivered late, by the way. I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to buy a new product, when I'm trying to buy something I haven't bought before, it can be a little bit inundating to read all these reviews. It can be a little bit daunting to kind of check in on all of those or to pick a restaurant when you're on vacation. The reviews make your head spin. I mean, who do you believe? Do you believe the person that said that these are the best oyster Rockefellers on God's green earth? Or the person who says, I think they dipped my steak in ice water before they served it because it was so cold. Who do you believe? I don't know. Maybe both. Could be either. What about that, that new watch band you're looking at? Is it luxurious and a vibrant band that will last you for a long time? Or is it just a money grab by somebody good at gaming Amazon's review system? I don't know. What do you do? What do we do? At the end of the day, picking a restaurant, spending 12 bucks on a watch band, those aren't really consequential decisions. It's probably not going to affect your life in a real way um, for any amount of time. But they feel important at the moment, don't they? Like when I'm reading those reviews, it feels like I really need to get this right. And that's part of what has happening all the time in our lives. Our daily lives are an endless set of choices and decisions that just sort of keep coming at us. While there's nothing new under the sun, one of the consequences for us living in sort of the modern Western culture that we live in is the availability of choice in so many things and the freedom to choose a lot of those things. It's one of the defining characteristics of the world that we live in is the sort of proliferation of choices that we have. We choose who to marry, which is an idea that's only about 500 years old, or we choose not to marry. We browse homes on Zillow, even if we're very happy with the home that we live in because it's convenient and I can do it. It's right there. It's interesting. What did my neighbors pay for their house? I'd like to know. I can know. Even in the last two years where we have lost so much, we have gained something else. As offices have shut down and gone decentralized, 
our work no longer determines where we live. There are many of you, there are people in this church who have come to City Church because they used to have jobs that were in an office at a place, and now they don't. And they want to live in St. Pete because they're wise. Our, jo- our jobs are no longer geographically bound. If you're a parent, you have school choice for your children. And if you have any sort of financial means, all of these choices that we've mentioned before begin to explode in another set of more possibilities. This thing or that thing or the other thing. Where do you want to eat lunch? Where do you want to eat lunch? Over and over, choices and decisions, decisions and choices, they keep going, they keep going. And while so many of our choices can seem pretty benign, more choices than we care to admit, more of our decisions are serious, have consequences. Because all of our choices, even on small things, all of our choices are a function of wisdom. And the choice to pursue wisdom is difficult because it's an intentional decision to deny ourselves momentary pleasure for longer-term satisfaction. The choice to pursue wisdom is an intentional choice to deny ourselves momentary pleasure in order to chase long-term satisfaction. In many ways, wisdom is pleasure deferred. And Solomon is going to show us that here in Proverbs 9. So if you're able, I'd love for you to stand. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, You can follow along on the screen or if you have a Bible with you or on an app, however you'd like to, or if you'd like to just listen, that's fine. But we like to stand as we hear God's word together from Proverbs 9. So if you would. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest of places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And she says to, and to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. City Church is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Two houses. Both alike in dignity, 
in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge, break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers, anybody know? Take their life. The opening words of Romeo and Juliet, the two houses, the Montagues and the Capulets, Throughout the entire play, they are set against one another and as contrast to one another. That is so much of what we have here in Proverbs chapter 9. We have two houses set in contrast to one another, set to compare one another. This is the last lecture that Solomon gives in the body of, of Proverbs. From here on out till the end of Proverbs to the last two chapters, uh, we're going to get what we normally think about when we think about Proverbs, just sort of the scattershot, a story about an ant here, a story about relationships there, a, you know, a little pithy statement about this and that. That's what comes after this. But in this last one, in this last sort of lecture that we have, Solomon is telling us about the house of Lady Wisdom and the house of Lady Folly. And what's really interesting about the ways that he describes these, before we get to the contrast, is the ways that they're the same. Did you catch that the way that they are telling people to come in, the way that they are calling out to people is exactly the same? If you've got your Bibles open, you can see that verses 4 and verse 16 are the exact same verse. The thing that Lady Wisdom says and the thing that Lady Folly says begin in the same way. If you're simple, Come on in. Turn in here. To the one who lacks sense, I've got a word for you. Come on in and get some free food. But there are significant differences between these two homes. The homes themselves are described differently. On the one hand, you have Lady Wisdom's house, which it says that she has hewn out seven pillars. This is meant to symbolize, this is meant to tell us that this is an absolutely gorgeous house. It's a beautiful house. And she is not only the architect behind this house, but she is also the butcher, the sommelier, and the hostess. She is the one who has gone out and killed the beast. She is the one who has mixed the wine. She is the one who is setting the table. Lady Wisdom is not just sitting around. More than that, she is active and knowledgeable in several of these crafts. On the other hand, Lady Folly knows nothing. You know nothing, Lady Folly. And she, she just sits, as opposed to the activity that we see in Lady Wisdom. In Lady Folly, we see that she is just kind of hanging out and hollering at people. Solomon says she is loud, but has nothing to say. She is seductive and doesn't know anything. And in my mind, this picture that Solomon is drawing is, is sort of this contrast between this beautiful sort of Greco-Roman home with the nice Corinthian columns where Lady Wisdom is at. And then in contrast with that, you have Lady Folly sitting in a folding chair outside of a brothel, winking and sort of catcalling people as they pass by. And to be frank, that's actually exactly the picture that Solomon is painting in this passage. One woman is inviting passerby to bed. The other woman is inviting them to school. Lady Folly's invitation is filled with innuendo. 
Stolen water tastes sweet. Bread eaten in secret is the best. But the meaningful part of this is how both of these stories end. Lady Wisdom ends her ask. She ends her call with a command. Leave behind your simple ways. Leave them behind. And on the other hand, Lady Folly doesn't tell you. She doesn't give a command. Because something happens the moment you step into Lady Folly's house. You find out that it is just filled with shades. You have passed through the gate of death. Lady Wisdom invites you to a feast with the living who are learning wisdom. Lady Folly invites you into death. And this contrast, the sort of binary thought of folly and wisdom is something that doesn't always sit well with us. We are accustomed, we are so accustomed to choice and to choosing that anytime we are presented with a, a black or white scenario like this, a wisdom or folly, life or death, our, our brains, our hearts, our souls immediately go, well, I mean, isn't there some like wisdomy folly? Isn't there some foolishness wisdom? Can, can, we, have a, can we have a sliding scale? Can we have a sliding scale, Solomon? But that's not what he presents to us. He says, all of our decisions have real consequences. Every meal is eaten at the table of one of these two women. The idea that our life, our decisions, our choices are heavy with consequence and meaning makes us uncomfortable. We are already carrying around so much heaviness. We are already dealing with pain, frustration, disappointment, loss, joy, and excitement. We already are filled with all of these emotions on a daily basis. And then those are the things that are in the front of our minds. But Solomon wants to speak to the back. He wants to speak to the back of our minds because our decisions have consequences. Pursuing wisdom means we have to leave behind other more seductive options. Choosing wisdom is delaying gratification. Choosing folly, even in little things, is allowing ourselves to die tiny deaths time after time after time. And Solomon is warning us about thoughtlessness, about the temptation to remove meaning from the normal moments of our lives because all of our lives are far more enchanted and meaningful than you could ever possibly dream. If the Bible is true and all of us will live forever one way or another, what C.S. Lewis says is true. You've never met a mere mortal human. Our lives are stocked with wonder and meaning and one of the ways that we begin to see that, one of the ways that we begin to unlock that mindset, to begin to see that way is by pursuing wisdom. In the path of wisdom is where we begin to see meaning and beauty in our normal everyday lives. And that's why Lady Wisdom gets to give a toast at her meal. She stands up and begins to say, here is what it's like to continue on the path of wisdom. If you're asking why, why doesn't Lady Folly get that, it's because as soon as you walk through the doors, 
Everyone at her table is dead. She doesn't need to give a toast. Dead people make very bad cheersers. But Lady Wisdom does get to give a toast. And she says that you need to remember the paths of wisdom. She repeats again these things. She repeats her thesis that Solomon has been telling us over and over again, right? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so in here, she repeats that again because wisdom is never a destination. It's always a path. Wisdom is never a place that we arrive at. You can't arrive at wisdom. It is only a path that you can keep going on. And even those who have come in and sat down at Lady Wisdom's table, who have said, yes, I want to do this. I want to be on this team. Who have said, yes, this is the way I want to go. And now they're sitting at Lady Wisdom's table wanting to learn from Lady Wisdom. And what does she say? You're not there yet. You got a long way to go. It's a path. You need to be reminded of the fundamentals. We have to keep coming back to this idea that knowledge, intimate, real knowledge that comes from time being spent dwelling on and thinking about God, thinking about his word is the way that we begin to gain insight to the world around us. So many of us want to focus on on gaining facts and gaining understanding of the world around us from observing the world around us. Wisdom works differently because it is from our relationship with God. It's from our intimate connection with him that we gain the wisdom of the world around us. You cannot get wisdom from a Wikipedia page. You can't. You can know a lot of things, but you can't get this kind of wisdom There is no shortcuts. I would try to take them if there were. Wisdom is never slow. It's cultivated like a tree, not not like herbs. I mean, Florida, we live in the subtropical climate. If you throw some herbs out on your porch in a window box, they're probably going to grow. They're probably going to grow without you having to pay attention to them. Growing trees? Trying to, trying to get an actual citrus tree to grow in your yard, trying to make sure your avocado tree produces good avocados, that takes some work. That takes cultivation. That's the way that wisdom works. And wisdom works as well, Lady Wisdom says, by teaching us about the scoffer, the person who, who constantly rolls their eyes, the ones that think that they know best, the ones that won't listen to anyone. And Lady Wisdom tells us when we try to teach the unteachable, it not only does it not go anywhere, but it actually rebounds and ends up hurting us. It backfires. He says that when we try to correct the scoffer, we get abuse and injury thrown in our way. Wisdom is learning to pick our battles. Wisdom is beginning to understand that it's okay for someone else to be wrong. It's knowing who we can have conversations with that push us further down the path of wisdom and who we can't. It's tough when you read this passage because some of us would make this as an excuse to not have hard conversations, to not sort of follow through on those things. But that's not what Solomon says. Solomon doesn't say, and it doesn't have Lady Wisdom tell us that you never have hard conversations. No, it says... 
that you reprove the wise man, not the scoffer. And it would be easy for you and I to begin to think in our hearts of all of those people who we might label as a scoffer in our lives, who we might label as, as someone who is not worth the time and write off, yes, it's wiser for me not to deal with this person. The harder thing to do, the more difficult thing for us to do in the situation is to take inventory of our own hearts. For me to take inventory of my hearts in the way that I have been a scoffer towards others. In the way that I am the one who has not been wise and not been pushing others forward. And so this whole chapter, he gives us the picture of these two different feasts. He gives us the picture of the feast at Lady Wisdom's house and the feast at Lady Folly's house. And as he does this, he's showing us these two different meals. It sounds an awful lot like one of the parables Jesus taught. Jesus taught a story very similar to this. It's almost as if he had read it that morning. Because in Matthew 22, he tells a, a story about a king who is throwing a wedding feast. And he invites all of the usual suspects. Everybody who should be invited to the party is invited, but those usual suspects reject the invitation. So just like wisdom in this story, just like Lady Wisdom in, in the Proverbs 9, Jesus tells his servants, go out and find anybody you can. Anybody who wants to come to the party, tell them they can come to the party. I've already bought the wine. Let's go. It's a little bit like yesterday when some of you were asking, hey, can I get a couple of those ribs? Yes. I already paid for all the ribs. Please take the ribs. I don't want the ribs. I can't eat all of those ribs. Please take the ribs. Jesus does that same thing. Everybody, come on, grab some food. I'm having a festival. I'm having a party. It's going to be a feast. And he goes out and finds the simple. And they gather in, in Matthew 22, it literally says, they gather in the good and the bad. Might as well throw in the ugly for measure. They gather everybody in together to go to this wedding. Oh yeah, he also did send out servants to burn down the cities of the people who rejected his invitation. That's also in there. That's a thing that happens as well. And he gathers the people together for a feast. In many ways, Jesus' story about the wedding feast, Solomon's story about Lady Wisdom's feast are mirrors to one another because they both have a single simple requirement for those who are coming. And that single simple requirement to join Lady Wisdom's feast and to join Jesus' feast is dependence is the knowledge that I don't have within myself the resources to do this. I don't have the stuff in me. I need someone else. I need to recognize that I am simple in order to become wise. I need to recognize an or, a, that I need a savior in order to find them. This is phrased so well in one of my favorite hymns, Come Ye Sinners. The, this, the hymn puts it this way, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dwell. That's fitness to come before God. All of the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. Beloved, wisdom is calling. Jesus is calling. 
our lives have the potential to explode with beauty and meaning, our relationships with depth and health, our communities with kindness and service. But in order for this to happen, we need to feel our need for him. We have to confess our dependence on him. We have to submit to him and his word. We have to heed the call of Lady Wisdom to see the path of delayed gratification and deferred pleasure as not just true, but good and beautiful. And as that beauty inflames our hearts and minds, we begin to leave our simple ways behind and walk in the path of wisdom and eat the bread and drink the wine that has been prepared for us. Let's... Let's do that. Let's eat of that feast as we walk in this path together. Let's pray.